is episode 131 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Jackie Connell. She's an SLP with over 10 years of experience, primarily with the adult population in the acute care, acute rehab, outpatient, and home care settings. She received her master's degree from Loyola University, Maryland, and is currently the lead SLP at NYU Winthrop Hospital, a level one trauma and primary stroke center located on Long Island in New York. Jackie has a strong interest in neurogenic disorders relating to swallowing and communication, and is taught as an adjunct professor at the graduate level. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Um, I'm I'm really excited for this episode today, and I say that only because I think it's going to help clarify a lot of things that I know a lot of people are struggling with across the country right now about what do we do with scheduling and how are we supposed to triage these patients in the midst of COVID-19. So um, I was really happy that Jackie agreed to come on and talk about this. And she, um, the, the reason I had asked her to come was in the MedSLP Collective, where we're having a weekly support call for our frontlines SLPs in, in COVID-19. Um, and she had some really good suggestions to help support her colleagues last week, which is why I asked her to come on and share those with all of you guys. Um, and I do want to say that the MedSLP Collective is open for enrollment now. If anybody's looking for some extra support, um, you can go to MedSLPCollective.com to sign up. Also, if you are a graduate student or, or an undergrad student, well, we do have a student rate available at MedSLPCollective.com forward slash student. So I hope you all enjoy this episode with Jackie and hope she helps to clarify some things. And I hope everybody's staying so healthy and safe out there and protecting themselves. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning, Teresa. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So tell the people who you are. So I am Jackie Connell. I am a speech pathologist at NYU Winthrop Hospital on Long Island, which is located in New York. Um, I've been practicing for about, for a little over 10 years and primarily in the acute care setting, but I've done outpatient home care, acute rehab. I'm currently the lead therapist. So I have a team of six that I oversee and mentor. And that includes pediatrics and adults. So I'm also learning new things uh, every day. And yeah, that's kind of that's kind of who I am. Awesome. Well, thank you. So I, I asked Jackie to come on today. So we um, in the MedSLP Collective, we we started doing a weekly support call for basically everybody that's dealing with patients with COVID nineteen. And Jackie just had some really good insight on our last support call that you know, especially as leading a team that's in New York, that's leading the charge basically in this. I just asked her if she'd come on and kind of share some things because I think everybody has some questions on how to deal with this and what's the right thing. And I think I just want to stress more than anything that there is no right way, I think, to do any of this, you know, and it really has to go based on your own hospital policies and your own infection control policies. But, um, you know, hopefully you can just get some good ideas on how to even tackle the problem solving here with Jackie. So, yeah. So I would, I would say like one of the things that we started with, and this was a suggestion actually from one of my staff members that I was able to not necessarily escalate, but kind of go with a plan and get it approved. 
And one of the thoughts was initially was limiting our exposure to each other because we're a small department. And if one of us gets sick, then there's no speech pathologist in the entire hospital. And also limiting our exposure to our patients day in and day out. And so initially, and I think because we're in New York, we're ahead of some of the other states in regards to how we're managing some of our caseload and some of our staffing. And so we made that change early on. So what we did was we shifted everyone from five eights to four tens. So we had one less day for each therapist in the office, in the hospital. And we also had an extra day at home, which I think right now the mental component of that is huge. And my staff has all has all given me positive feedback on that. And I've made it, I've made it very clear because my director wanted me to make it very clear that this is a temporary situation. But it's it's one that's working both for our patient care and our self-care, you know, as a department as well. And so by limiting the amount of staff in the office, it, it's great because you're exposing, you know, one another to each other less. And I think most speech pathology offices are like broom closets. They're really small. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's impossible to social distance in those. And so that was really successful. That was something that we did. We initiated that. Um, I don't even know when at this point. And, you know, it's been a positive thing. And when I took it to leadership, you know, I have autonomy over the schedule to some degree, but I still need to get certain things like that approved because one of our initial thoughts was actually 312s. And that ended up being much more complicated because in our job code in the time card system, it doesn't allow us to put in for 312s because the extra shift and whatnot. So then we went back to this 410. So even just learning things like that as you're going through this crisis, yeah. for lack of a better term. Yeah, yeah. So that was one of the things we did in regards to staffing. And actually, this past weekend, I was able to get everyone on my staff remote access to their desktops at work. So we've gone even further with this in regards to, and I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, no, no, go right but um, in regards to managing our caseload. So obviously, our caseload has taken a hit. We are a fraction of, you know, we're seeing a fraction of the patients we normally do for two reasons. One, I think a lot of them are very sick and they aren't in our facility, they aren't being extubated yet. We're still at the point where they're still intubated. So we haven't seen that influx of extubated patients and needing the swallow consult at this point in time. I think that's going to hit us about this weekend. And so with the caseload being lower, we are having opportunity to do a lot of in-house, in-services, CEUs, just you know, team building. Um, I actually had the ATOS reps. We had had a uh, CEU conference set up to be in person with us and we were able to make that a WebEx, you know, for two hours and just kind of really focusing on the learning environment that we don't often get time to do. And so with having IT get everyone remotely set up, I'm now able to have one therapist at least start their day at home. And so they can log in, they will check the caseload, they will check the census, and we have what we call a COVID list. So we have a running list on Epic that is all of our COVID PUIs and all of our COVID positives and the therapist at home is responsible for triaging that list so that the therapist at work can go see the neuro, the strokes, the you know, emergency surgeries that are still happening because things people still have heart attacks. And that has that actually we started yesterday. So that is going well. You know, the two therapists or the three therapists, because either three of us, you know, in yesterday are all communicating throughout the day, whether it's through our epic chat or whether it's through our cell phones. And I think that that's a big key is that you have to have a supportive team to pull any of this off right now. So everyone has to kind of put aside whatever differences they may have had, which in my department, thankfully, we didn't have a lot. 
but I think that we've done a really good job of having each other's backs and coming together. And I'm seeing patients, which sometimes I don't because I have a lot of administrative responsibilities, but the first COVID patient, I felt like it was very important for me to see so that I could speak to, you know, how do you, you know, put, how do you put your PPE on? How do you do your check? How do you take it off? You know, just working through all of that because we get trained for it, but we often don't really think about the severity and you don't think about doing it day in and day out. It's different now. Um, And it's important that we protect ourselves just as much as we protect our patients. And I, I think that's a big piece of this is if you're not sure about whether your mask is fitting correctly or whatever it is, check with a nurse, check with someone who's putting it on more often than you are because they likely are. Yeah. Yeah. That that is such a huge piece. It's almost like you, you train for crisis and hope you never have to use it. And here we are. So, yeah. And I have to say like the, the nurse that uh, handed me my PPE for my COVID patient, she's a nurse manager from a different unit was, you know, she was on a different unit. She was obviously frazzled, but she looked at me and said, do your seal check have your eyes covered, grab anyone if you need help. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah. And that's the other thing that I think in retrospect, if I could do one thing different. So for anyone that this hasn't really hit your hospital yet, I would say, and this is my personal opinion, but it is also my professional opinion. I would say having the adequate PPE for seeing any patient, COVID pending, I mean, COVID PUI, COVID positive, not even COVID, just assume everyone is having it because I think, thankfully my department has been spared so far, but I know in the rehab department and the respiratory department, there are plenty of people who have gotten sick and we don't know, you know, we don't know what or where the breach was or if there was a breach and if it had nothing to do with being at the hospital, but it does upset me a little that I didn't advocate for my girls to have the N95s and the face shields right off the bat. And if I could change anything, that is what I would change. At this point in time, we are approved and wearing those for every patient. So we put that on in the morning when we walk into the hospital and we take it off when we walk out of the hospital. Excellent. Yeah. Good. Yeah, that's so good to hear, Jackie. And, and I think that's what's so hard is you hear these, this hospital has this many employees with it. And it's, it's so hard, you know. And there was a huge article in our local paper yesterday, a big local hospital has a ton of employees with it. And then at the bottom was the disclaimer, like unable to prove if it was, you know, hospital acquired or out in the community, you know, and that's just what's so hard to. Yeah. And at this point, I mean, I don't even know that it matters. It doesn't. My director at one point, (laughs) my director at one point was using the words like clean and dirty and you know, basically saying, are we clean? We don't know. You know, are we bringing this home to our families? We don't know, but we're taking every precaution we possibly can. I mean, our hospital has erected a tent outside of the hospital for for staff to change in. So, I mean, our staff office is physically located away from the hospital so we can change in our office space, but I am doing that. I am taking my scrubs off before I come home. I am showering immediately and not saying hello to my family and, you know, my husband's having to deal with my daughter crying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fine. I've gotten really quick at it. He says I'm getting faster. Oh, good, good, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> the things you learn to adapt during a crisis. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say one of the other things that I think is important, and I I know most facilities have a nursing swallow screen. We're a primary stroke center, so that obviously is something our nurses are very well versed in. Some do it better than others, and uh, we had a transition to Epic in the fall, and so the the format of it's a little different 
so I know that sometimes nurses do it halfway through because ours doesn't say pass fail anymore, which I really miss that feature. So we are trying to, with our COVID PUIs or, or our COVID-19 positive patients, we are really asking nursing to do that swallow screen. And I mean, it doesn't have to be a nurse doing it, but when we talk to either the nurse or the provider, that's our first line of defense is, has the swallow screen been done? And if it has, and the patient wasn't initiated on a diet, talk me through what was happening more. Like, let's get into the details of this. And I think that that's been helpful in two ways. One, I think, you know, we're supporting the staff and saying, we want to have all the information before we walk in that room because we're limiting the amount of exposure that, you know, we're going to have to ourselves anyway, but also talking them through what things we're looking for so that the next time they have to do one, maybe they'll look for those things too. Maybe they won't because they're overwhelmed and they have a lot going on and that's totally fine, but we're still going to ask those questions and advise through there. Most of the physicians that I have spoken with, and I tend to go to the physicians first, even though the nurses are the ones that generally do the swallow screen, most of the physicians that I've spoken with have been able to kind of get where I'm coming from with the thought process. And I think that one of the things, you know, my staff was getting frustrated at one point of they're putting in all these ridiculous consults and these patients are positive and, you know, why aren't they thinking about this? And I, I think it's important to take a step back for a second and realize what these doctors and what these nurses and what these nursing aides are all going through. I mean, these floors are very heavy caseloads. These are very heavy patients. A lot of them are on a floor when they probably would normally be in an ICU, but our ICU is full with all of our intubated patients. And I think it's important to give a little bit of forgiveness to our staff and our colleagues because I don't know that everyone is thinking through every aspect of their job as well as they can right now. And I think, yeah. And I think one of our new responsibilities is to help them get there and to say like, okay, let's take a second. Let's talk through this patient's history. Let's talk through their factors. Let's talk through what their hospital course was here because usually the physician has that. I mean, we obviously have that from the chart review, but it's helpful because the physician has at least seen the patient. So that is also a telling piece. And so with having that conversation, if the end result is, you know what, all of these, you know, he's a Parkinson's patient, he was intubated, you know, I tried puree and he was having trouble with that. I don't know if he was swallowing it. I don't know what he was doing. And my question was, you know, was he awake and able to follow directions? Yes, he was. You know, I had talked to the family about this patient. The baseline diet had been regular thin at home. So clearly these are all acute issues exacerbated by, you know, a very complicated hospital course. And I went in and saw him and and that's fine. I want, I guess I want to make sure that anyone listening to this that is a speech pathologist understands we're not trying to get out of our job right now. We're just trying to make sure that we're doing our job in the most responsible manner. And sometimes that might mean not seeing this patient because it might be more important that we have PPE set aside for the nurse or the physician or whatever specialist might have to go in there because even those consults right now are limited. And I think that that's a hard thing when you're not in the thick of it because it's, it's a hard thing to predict even though Italy and Spain and yeah yeah no I think you said that is telling yeah us. I think you said that beautifully Jackie I think you know I, I I'm not in acute care I can't even begin to know what you guys are facing every day but I think you just said that beautifully you know it's like well why are their caseloads low why aren't they seeing everybody you know and 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 I think the more we hear from people it's just you have to embrace this team approach at this point 
Yeah, to be honest, I'm surprised we're all still speech pathologists in my department this week. Yeah. Because I really would have thought we would have been pulled into the labor pool already. And I'm thankful we're not. And I'm thankful we've been able to find creative ways to keep ourselves busy, not have to force anyone out on PTO and utilize our resources. But I'm, I'm waiting for that to change. I'm sure it will. Yeah. Do, do you think it will change? Or do you think you guys are going to get busier as all these patients get extubated? I think we will get busier. And I also think that we were an understaffed department before. So now, once we do get busier, we might just be adequately staffed. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we were in a hiring process as this started. So it's just kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> So have you, have you guys seen any of these patients post-extubation yet? We have not seen any of them post-extubation. Uh, no, we haven't had to see any of them post-extubation, which is surprising to me because I, we're just not getting consulted on them. Most, you know, the couple that I know that I know of that have come up from the medical ICU had had the swallow of order in. I've checked with the attending and the attending has gone in and done the swallow screen and deemed them okay. But they were young patients. They were in their okay. 40s. I have not been consulted on any of the more geriatric patients. The Parkinson's guy, that was an intubation from earlier that it wasn't related to COVID. So I don't know. I, I you know, Listening on the call last week, people were saying it's a different kind of dysphagia. Yeah, yeah, and, that's what I'm so curious it's going to be interesting. Yeah. And yeah, I will definitely reach out in the coming weeks because I'm sure we will start to see that. But And I don't know if it's fortunately or unfortunately because I don't know if the reason we're not getting them is because they're not surviving or if the reason we're not getting them is because they're still ventilated. I don't think a ton of patients are being extubated and put on diets without us, but I don't know. I guess one of the things we didn't talk about was the instrumental exams. I know that came up on the call last week. So our facility, uh, I don't remember the date of when, but they kind of made a blanket statement like a lot of hospitals are doing right now about the fact that we are not going to do any instrumental exams, meaning modified barium swallows or fees. And so I think to some people that aren't in the thick of this, that's confusing of why you aren't doing a modified barium swallow. The fees people seem to understand a little bit more with the component of being an aerosol generating procedure, having to don additional PPE, because I was on a call last night that they were talking about requiring a PAPR. And we don't, I don't even think we have those. Or if we do, they're not reserved for a speech pathologist. Okay. And so when our, when our facility made the kind of blanket statement about no instrumentals, we you know, we respected that. We took that to heart and we are escalating issues as we need to. Okay. And so we're not doing any fees, but with modified barium swallows, if there's a patient that this is going to significantly change their course of treatment before they are discharged from our facility, we will escalate that and we have to escalate it to administration and it needs to be approved before we can move forward. But there is a plan set in place for that. It has, it has required us to be I don't want to say creative, but I would say it's required me to be more thorough in my clinical exams. And that's not something I want to, I don't know, it, it sounds bad to like admit that you might not have been as thorough as you should have been previously, but right now oh, it's, it's all a learning. Yeah. 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 But right now I feel like I'm spending even more time with the patient for two reasons. One, you have the time to, and two, the patients seem very lonely because there is a strict no visitors policy. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like it's allowing me to spend more time and just you know, make sure that the meal is going the way that I think it is in the first 15, 20 minutes of being in there. 
and just kind of hanging out after and having a conversation and are they sounding wet and just looking for all of those other signs. But yeah, with the instrumental exams, I think it's important to note that there is a plan and there are exceptions to the rule. But in general, the reason for that is we don't want to be traveling any of these patients, COVID negative, COVID positive, COVID PUI through the hallways. We don't want to be exposing additional staff. We don't want to be utilizing rooms that might need to be utilized for other procedures and whatnot. So the, you know, the hospital as a whole is feeling this in a lot of different ways. And I think our role as speech pathologists right now is being redefined on a daily basis in the light of COVID-19. Thank you for clarifying that, Jackie. I think that's what's so important. Yeah, it's it's like, like you said, why aren't they doing instrumentals? What's going on? You know, I know in, in some other settings, it may still be, you know, okay to be doing these. But, you know, I think you just explained it beautifully about how it's just really pulling strings. Ours started with, you know, no outpatients, and then it transitioned to, you know, no inpatients. And now it's or I think it transitioned to no inpatient COVID PUI or COVID positive, and then it transitioned to across the board, we're just, we can't do this right now. So I think most facilities will probably have that kind of hierarchy approach to it. And hopefully you're learning something from colleagues in New York and in, in general, you might have to edit yeah. that out. Do you, is, is that going for most other departments too? In regards to... Like, it's not just you guys further testing and things like that. It's not just, yeah, there's, there's a lot that's limited right now. Um, I even noticed just because we tend to read our dietitian notes, they always do a really good summary. And I feel like they're, you know, our little buddies in, in the world of the treatment room. And I've been reading some of their notes and as a department, it seems like, and I don't, I don't know this for fact, but as a department, it seems like they've made a statement that they're not, not going in the room because they can do their interview and whatnot over the phone. And they don't really, I guess they don't have to do their physical exam for, for their job. I know they like to, um, I know they're thorough with it, but I think right now that's a compromise they're making. And I don't know whether that came from them or their leadership, but that was one that I've noticed. I mean, even some of our, our attendings are talking to the primary team and then determining with the primary team, do you want, you know, the neurologist or the ENT or cardiologist to step foot in the room, depending on what the severity of the situation is. So I think across the board, it's definitely, this is changing the way of medicine. I know our facility, I have one speech pathologist who floats to our ENT practice two days a week. And she had called me at one point and was like, they're all moving to telemedicine. How do I do this? And so, you know, I've had phone calls with the director for NYU um, as an organization for speech pathology about keeping us in the loop because even though we don't have outpatient on our own, we have her floating. And so anything that they're doing, we can pick up those billing codes and apply. And so they're hopeful that that will be out, you know, shortly. But I think I read somewhere about, you know, we've waited years for all of this telepractice, telemedicine, and now it's just, you know, in in 10 to 14 days, it's just occurring. Yeah. Yeah. I said that to my husband, we were like standing, you know, standing in the kitchen watching the news. And I was like, it literally took this crisis for all this stuff to just finally happen for us. Like, he was like, is this a good thing? And I was like, yes. (laughs) Like, yeah. I mean, I, I think when this is all said and done, which I think will be months out at this point, but I think there will be silver linings to come from this and that might be one of them. Yeah. 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 I love that. Yeah. I, thank you for clarifying all that, Jackie, because I think that's what's so important for a lot of people on the outside to realize right now is, you know, kind of what's going on and, and how do we triage these things? And 
you know, it's hard to say, you know, are we just stepping aside? Is it, are we getting picked on as SLPs? Are they just saying, you know, SLPs, you can't do your job anymore, but it sounds like what you're saying, everybody in the hospital is going through the same thing. Everybody's kind of taking a a step back and playing a collective role. And I'll be honest, our, um, one of our head and neck surgeons, he is, he's a big advocate for speech pathologists. And so at Winthrop, at NYU Winthrop, we used to fall under ENT. And then when we merged with NYU, we now fall under rehab. And so I think sometimes my mentality still goes to that ENT surgery aspect. And our, our head and neck surgeon was very clear about, you know, you guys need to be protected. And a lot of people don't understand what you do. And I do. And this is what you need. And I mean, he almost basically instilled fear into me to get me to understand the severity of this. And he, you know, I'm glad he did. I'm glad that that conversation happened. And he initially had had it with, with the speech pathologist that floats to his office and she called me and then I called him and it was this whole phone chain of events, but it was very helpful because that is where I was able to escalate then to my director who is not a speech pathologist, but I was armed with my information. I was armed with my research studies and I was armed with a physician backing what I was saying. And I think that that's huge. And I think every facility is going to have to do what works for them. Every speech pathologist is going to have to do what works for them. But knowing what's going on in our facility, what our resources are, and being able to redefine our role within that is important. And I think we're also being respected yes. for it. Awesome. I, I love the way you said that, Jackie. I think, yeah, and, and that puts such a good perspective on it too, because I think, you know, as being an SLP that works in SNFs, I, we have no relationship with ENTs at all. You know, so when this ENT statement came down the pike, a lot of us were like, well, what do they have to do with us? You know, we have, we're completely rehab. We have nothing to do with them. But like you said, you, you guys, you know, identify closer with the ENT department than the rehab at one point. So that makes total sense for, for your setting. And I think that's, like you said, we've all just got to consider our, our own settings and our own, what we're dealing with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think of other things that came up in the collective that, did we cover workflows? We kind of covered in regards to changing the schedule. I didn't cover like designating. I mean, I guess we covered um, the fact that we designate one speech pathologist in the hospital with the second one coming in. So one of my per diems when this all kind of started to hit New York had called me saying that her facility wasn't going to allow her to work somewhere else because if she ended up sick, she wouldn't be paid out. That has since changed, um, but initially, you know, we utilize per diems pretty heavily for our weekend schedule, and so I had to pull her from the weekend schedule, and that's actually where the transitioning to the four tens kind of came from, and throwing myself into the normal rotation of every weekend and whatnot. And I have two staff members that were pretty that were pretty willing to do a majority of weekends because there's nothing else going on right now in New York, yeah. and you, you yeah. don't really have a social yeah. life. So they were like, sure, three days off in a row, I'll work every Saturday for you. Um, and so, so with that transition, you know, we basically redid the entire schedule for the month of April and working through that. And normally we have our schedule done three months out and I'm barely doing it three weeks out at this point because we're just concerned about the changes that might occur. We're concerned if, if one of us gets sick, what does that mean for the department? I know some facilities, if they're, you know, if, if a staff member got sick and you were technically exposed, you were out for two weeks as well. We are no longer doing that because I think we would be extremely limited with hospital staff. 
So there's a series of questions that you have to go through to make sure that you can come to work, that you're asymptomatic. I mean, my entire department, we are checking our temperatures twice a day anyway, just because we all feel better doing it. <laughs> yeah. So the, so the per diem aspect, I think, is interesting because I'm sure a lot of facilities are just kind of grasping at straws of what do they want to do? How do they want to manage this? And it's obviously impacting other facilities, including their own, because then other settings change the rules and it's just constantly it's constantly changing. I have, a, I have a list of websites on a daily basis that one of us checks just to make sure we're you know, all on the same page about what is going on. Some of those resources I got from you. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> well, and I think, I think yeah. what you said is it, you know, everything's changing daily. And I think you know, we can have these best plans put into place and then it can all just go to hell within a day or two. But you know, I know some facilities are saying like no per diems whatsoever because like you said, they don't want them traveling from facility to facility, but then when it gets insanely busy, they're calling in everybody in the world, people that don't even have a license, you know? So (laughs) I think, yeah, I think we can do the best we can with what we have at day one and it's definitely going to change by tomorrow. So. (laughs) Yeah. And my hope is that by taking my per diems off of my, what I'm calling normal schedule now, that if I do end up with a staff member that's sick, that hopefully I will have a per diem to call in. Because otherwise, the rest of us are having to pick up that slack. And that is, to some degree, not necessarily feasible all the time. Um, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's all anybody can do. So how, how do you think, how do you think you guys are doing? Like, how do you think you're faring mental health wise? As a department, I think we're doing okay. I've been making it a, I've been making a point to check in with pretty much everyone on a daily basis, at least when they're at work. I'm trying not to bother my staff when they're home, but it is a little hard right now because, you know, needing to check remote access or whatever, just seeing if certain things work right now. I feel like they don't get a true day off where I'm not asking them a question, something work related, which I, I don't love because I think that that break is important, but I also recognize that there's a ton going on right now. You know, I, I, I tend to sign most of my emails with an, a, a meme or a funny video clip or something like that. I mean, that just is my lighthearted way to do things. Hopefully that's well received. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think that we're all trying to have each other's backs. And I think that before this started, we were a very close-knit team. And I think that that's just further developed, you know, that that aspect of us. I do think that in regards to our, our nursing and our physicians, I think that they are spread thin and I think that they are stressed. And I don't say that in a mean way. None of them, you know, no one's being mean to each other. It's just, you can tell by their face, they're, they're stressed. You can tell by, you know, how they're rushing. I mean, I just, it's impressive to me that we're still functioning as well as we are as a hospital. I think that the facility is doing a really good job of trying to listen to feedback from employees for me personally, every time I step foot in the hospital, a different unit has been converted. And that is eye-opening in a positive and a negative way. It's both, it's alarming that that much change can happen in, in overnight, basically. But it's also really impressive to see engineering and everyone else, IT, everyone else getting these rooms. I mean, our entire conference room is now a unit. I mean, it's literally a unit. Our OR, because elective surgeries aren't happening, has patient beds in it and it's basically a unit. So I think that that's, you know, there's, there's so much to that. 
And I think as an organization, I think we're faring fairly well, given the, the circumstances we are in. I think that, you know, one of the things I've talked to my colleagues about, not necessarily at my facility, is that every hospital seems to be handling the communication to their staff differently. And I'm very appreciative of the fact that our hospital seems to be sharing that information with us of what cases, you know, how many cases do we have and where are we at? Where are the testing centers? You know, what's happening with the turnaround for testing time? And just, you know, we basically, at this point, I believe those emails are weekly. As a lead therapist, I get daily emails, which I'm sharing with my staff in regards to certain numbers at our facility specifically. And then, you know, just in conversations with your respiratory therapist or your physician or whatnot, you're hearing other information, but you don't always know the integrity of that. Whereas the emails that are coming out from either, you know, the CMO or the COH, CHO, you obviously have more faith in because they're, they're being printed and sent to you. Yeah, I, I think that's so important. I, I, I can't, I, I don't know. And I, I don't know why facilities are keeping this information from their employees. I can't. Well, and I don't, I don't know if out. it's intentional. I mean, yeah. It might yeah. just be they're not really thinking through it or there's, they haven't gotten the feedback. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak to that. I'm, I'm just appreciative that ours isn't because I think it's making staff feel more comfortable and a little bit more empowered. Um, and I think that that's an important thing right now. I think that, you know, as I've been at, I've been at uh, my hospital since the summer of 2015. I've been in a leadership role since the spring of 2018. So actually the speech pathology program started with my prior boss at NYU Winthrop, prior to us, there was a a contracted service that came in and they wanted to move to a model of seven day coverage and whatnot. And so I've, I've seen a lot of transitions within my department, within this facility. And I think that, you know, there's been, there's been a ton of growth and this is just going to be another example of how we grow and how we manage and how we overcome. I love it. Thank you, Jackie. Yeah. Are there any things that have come up that we didn't talk about? Any? No, I think I think you covered everything. Okay. Yeah, I I think you know, kind of going forward, I'm I'm so curious to hear how things shake out once this once the slew of post extubation patients come. And you know, I've heard talk of some other facilities almost having you know, in in light of preserving PP and things like that, almost having. The nurses basically do the clinical swallow exam for you, you know, you standing outside of the room. And obviously that's something that would never fly in <laughs> a normal condition or, or how that affects billing or anything. But do you suspect that might be something that you guys have to go to too? Or I don't know. I think that more depends on the availability of the N95s and the gowns because our school of medicine is making eye shields currently. So I from from the email communications, I'm understanding that is an area that they're not anticipating as much restriction with, with the eye shields. But in regards to the N95s and gowns, I don't know exactly where we fare. So I think that it will really, dep- it will really depend on the amount of supplies we have. I just had a thought and I lost it. <laughs> oh, I, were you, have you heard of a lot of so in regards to the post-exhibated COVID-19 patients, what have you been hearing so far? I, I actually have a, I have a, I'm doing, I'm recording another podcast tomorrow with some people that have seen kind of some, some of the literature coming out of China and things like that. So I can't answer that specifically right now. I just keep hearing from everyone that's saying the swallow is just weird. And I'm, 
<laughs> and it seems like that's what everyone's saying. And I don't know what constitutes weird. You know, I don't know if it's... Well, and I wonder if it's because we don't have the ability to do an instrumental if, you know, it just, things just seem different. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious for when we start seeing those consults and whether we can actually start seeing those consults or whether we're standing at the door. I know our facility is trying to look into getting the iPads so that we can kind of do a telemedicine aspect in the acute care setting, but I don't know where we're at with that. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So, oh, someone else had, had mentioned to me that they're looking into almost doing some sort of like telemedicine fees, like like having like a physician, you know, if a physician's already gowned up in PPE, considering doing some sort of, you know, having them pass the scope while you're viewing it from the outside. They're trying to come up with some sort of way, you know, kind of once these post-extubation patients, the, the slew of them comes out, how they can preserve PPE if it's a physician that is has experience with passing a scope and they were planning on doing something of that, you know, if it was a or a respiratory therapist doing a bronch or something like that too, you know, just trying to think creatively of how we can somehow get the imaging. Yeah. That'll, that would be interesting. I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know either. It, someone was like, have you heard of this? I'm like, no, I, there's so much yeah. stuff no one's ever heard of that. It's like, Oh, that would be cool if we could do that someday. You know? Yeah. Everyone's so, having to get creative. Yeah. I mean, how many respiratory therapists have said, oh, could you just like keep going so I can see my part? You know, it'll be interesting to see how many physicians or ENTs are now passing the scope for everybody so everybody can get a view. But Well, and I know our ENTs are trying to limit the amount of endoscopy that they're doing significantly. So I, I would be surprised to see that happening on the inpatient side. I feel like that's something that would happen more when they've tested negative and they're in the office, but that's my own speculation. I don't have anything to base that on other than conversations. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jackie. All right. Thanks, Teresa. Thanks so much for sharing everything. I think, you know, just you being kind of in the thick of it or about to be in the thick of it, I think it's just really helpful too. Cause it seems to be all the questions everybody's like, how do we even attempt scheduling? How do we even attempt staffing? And, and so I think you gave some really good considerations for that. Yeah. And I think it's really hard to predict something you're not at yet because I know, you know, when people were talking to me about how bad this was going to get, it was really hard to see my, my schedule with X amount of staff on it dwindle down and have to reshape that and take the per diems off. And it's just like, well, wait, why am I doing this? And, you know, conceptually you obviously understand it, but it's really hard to make all of those changes before it hits your hospital. And thankfully we still you know, we did. And I had a lot of leadership saying, supporting the decisions we were making and the changes we were making because they knew what was coming. But I still feel like I was struggling with that just on a human level of like this. It's, it's really hard to do something when you're not seeing it. Uh, now we're seeing it. <laughs> well, it's not like people have events going on on the weekends anyway, so they can't cover yeah. up. We are all <laughs> unfortunately. Very, very open. Yes. <laughs> I've heard of a lot of Zoom happy hours. But, yes, yes. You know, you yeah. could do those on Wednesday. Yeah, I, my too. husband scheduled one last night, like prime kids bedtime. I was like, yeah, no, no, yeah, <laughs> no, we got to get the kids to bed. You can deal with that later. So, yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Jackie. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on swallowyourpridepodcast.com where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.